Today's conversation is brought to you by Wesley Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, try out the Wesley Seminary podcast. Wesley Seminary posts new episodes weekly with guests like Pete Scazzera, Tara Beth Leach, Derwin Gray, and Sandra Wheeler covering topics such as leadership, preaching, miracles, and cross-cultural relationships. Wesley Seminary has over 200 episodes for you to check out. Just search Wesley Seminary Podcast wherever you listen. became this extra expectation. Pastors ought to be uh, trained as counselors and they ought to be able to offer um, marriage counseling and, and a crisis counseling. And then you kind of stack onto that. Actually, pastors are supposed to be entrepreneurs and uh, amazing kind of business minds. And they ought to be like the great CEOs of our day. And then you, you add on to that. They needed to be political commentators and they needed to be social activists. And, and I think what happened during the pandemic is all of those expectations kind of came to ahead. It, it, it wasn't like um, our congregation said, you can be this or that. It's that they said, you have to be this and this and this and this. Today's conversation is the podcast of the National Association of Evangelicals. I'm your host, Walter Kim, NAE president. In these conversations, we seek to help evangelicals foster thriving communities and navigate complexity with biblical clarity. In today's podcast, we dive into a conversation about why so many pastors are leaving the ministry and how churches can care for and equip their leaders for a resilient ministry. As a senior fellow at Barna Group and a pastor himself, Dr. Glenn Packiam helps us understand what's going on and what we can do. Here's our conversation. Thanks for joining us. Glenn, I followed your ministry over the years and it's a real delight to have you on. Thank you, Walter. Likewise, what an honor to talk to you today. Well, um, let's begin by talking a bit of your journey into ministry. How did you get into ministry? And, and then how did you and why did you get connected and involved with the area of research at Barna? Yeah, well, I've been at the same local church for 22 years at New Life Church in Colorado Springs. And I started as a worship pastor uh, here at the church. And about, let's see, it was 2009 that I began to sense the Lord kind of prompting us toward a different mode of pastoral ministry, I would say, through preaching and teaching, shepherding a congregation in a more direct way. Uh, and so we began to take steps toward that, discern that with our leadership here at the church, started a Sunday evening service first, and then that grew into launching New Life Downtown, which I have served as the lead pastor there for 10 years. And that, you know, we do a congregational model where uh, it's live preaching, you, you contextualize all of the ministry life of that church, but it's still connected uh, and under the banner of, of, the, of one church, of New Life Church. So really spent a lot of the last 10 years doing that. But it, it, along the way, I began to pursue um, continued education. And I did my doctoral degree at Durham University in the UK and learned a method of research that was kind of a blend of situational analysis using some sociological tools and theological reflection, where you're you're basically using a, a good lens to analyze a particular situation and then saying, okay, how do we reflect on that biblically and theologically? And so as I was complete, after I completed that, I developed a friendship over the years with David Kinnaman, the president of Barna. 
And he approached me early uh, 2020. This is pre-pandemic now, Walter. And he said, hey, we would love for you to partner with us to, to write a book uh, where we collaborate together with some of the research, and then you reflect on what this means for the challenges facing pastors in a changing world. And foolishly, I said, yes, I say foolishly because, you know, a month later, the pandemic broke out. Yeah. Man, that who can have anticipated that? And you bring up the pandemic, and clearly um, it has had a profound impact on mm -hmm. all of our lives, and in particular um, on the call of pastors. Uh, over the past year, the percentage of pastors uh, considering leaving vocational ministry has dramatically increased, and you've been central in this research. 29% uh, yeah. in 2021, then up to 38% later in the year of 2021, and then 43% yeah. uh, in March of 2022. And you've been working with Barna on this research yeah. of pastors considering leaving um, the vocation of ministry. Um, tell me some more <laughs> about this project. You know, yeah. when and how did you collect the data? What What are you learning? Yeah, yeah it, it, it's so, so, you know, I joked about it being, you know, kind of a, a foolish yes, not knowing what was around the corner, but we began to realize as soon as the pandemic hit that this was, uh, you know, had the chance to really be a, for such a time as this sort of project for the church. And so we worked pretty hard. I outlined eight challenges facing the pastor and the church eight challenges that I kind of divided it into two. So four challenges specifically for the pastor as an individual, the leader, uh, and then four challenges facing the church kind of in a, in a broader sense. And then we designed questions. I, I worked with their research team to design some questions. It went out to hundreds of pastors in the fall of 2020 and, then, and early 2021. And then we even had some questions that went out to the general population. So Walter, we got to ask uh, the general American population, their attitudes toward the pastor or their, their attitudes toward a church in their community. Um, and then I followed up and did some focus groups. So I, I recruited pastors via social media, said invited them to join my, these, these focus groups. Uh, and I had about uh, 25 pastors from the U.S., from Canada, and from the U.K., and I did them in three different groups of eight. We spent about 90 minutes talking uh, through those challenges. And just to get a little bit more stories behind the statistics, so you mentioned the, the statistics of the, the discouragement among pastors. I mean, it's really um, a, a difficult picture because I know it's not the statistics of pastors actually leaving, but it can gauge the discouragement and burnout level of the pastors who are serving right now. Is this part of a larger societal uh, trend? I mean, we've been hearing about the great resignation uh, and then the sorting, um, or is this something specific to pastors that you've discovered? Well, I never want to pretend that the pastors are uniquely, you know, um, suffering. And I think there are several vocations that have been through a lot of stress in the past couple of years, the teachers, educators, uh, certainly anyone in any kind of public sphere, public leadership sphere has faced uh, challenges of a very complex nature. But I can speak about the pastoral vocation because it's the one that I know. And I think what's happened, Walter, is the expectations of pastors have just stacked up over the decades. You know, so you think about maybe maybe several 50, 60 years ago, the expectation of a pastor was that they would be kind of the Bible expert or the, theolo the resident theologian. 
Uh, maybe they would be the priest, the, the one who could handle the sacraments. And then we kind of somewhere in the 70s or so, there became this extra expectation. Pastors ought to be uh, trained as counselors and they ought to be able to offer uh, marriage counseling and, and a crisis counseling. And then you kind of stack onto that. Actually, pastors are supposed to be entrepreneurs and uh, amazing kind of business minds. And they ought to be like the great CEOs of our day. And then you, you add on to that, they needed to be political commentators and they needed to be social activists. And, and I think what happened during the pandemic is all of those expectations kind of came to a head. It, it, it wasn't like um, our congregation said, you can be this or that. It's that they said, you have to be this and this and this and this. And, and I think for, for a lot of pastors, that it's just getting to be too much. Um, in March of this year, when Barna pressed a little deeper and said, why, you know, for those who have considered quitting, why? 56% said it's the immense stress of the job. So that was the number one reason uh, they, they named. It's just this, this sort of unrealistic stacking expectations, stress of the job. Mm. I mean, that list is just exhausting to hear <laughs> of all the compounding expectations. Um, but stress, uh, even the stress that comes with all the expectations, um, doesn't necessarily lead to burnout, yeah. right? And so there's some further dynamic that we need to explore because there are lots of stressful jobs. And so it seems like there's an issue of stress management or the context mm -hmm. of a local mm -hmm. church that makes yes. the management of stress lead to discouragement or burnout or something even maybe spiritually worse. Um, yeah. So uh, describe some of that yeah. deeper dive into the underlying yeah. reasons and causes. I love that you're pressing that way, Walter, because you're totally right. I mean, stress is not automatically the problem. Lots of jobs are stressful. Lots of, you know, uh, life situations are stressful. Um, I often think of the story that uh, the former chief rabbi of the British Commonwealth, uh, Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who's now passed away, uh, the story that he told of going to his doctor for his uh, physical, you know, and the doctor puts all these sensors on him and gets him on a treadmill and he has him start running and, and you know, and he says, what, what are you, what are you testing? You know? And he says, be quiet, just keep running. And he increases the incline, he increases the, the speed. And he's like, are you, are you testing how fast I can run or how far I can run? And of course, when he gets done, you know, the doctor finally says, no, I'm testing how quickly you recover to your resting heart rate. So stress, I mean, again, stress is not automatically the problem. A, a prolonged experience of stress could be problematic, but we're all going to experience duress, if you will. And one of the markers of health, even physically, one of the markers of health is recovery from a period of duress, recovery from a period of stress. And so I think what this is exposing for so many pastors is we don't have practices built in that aid our recovery. We don't have practices that help us recover. And I say that not just as I'm, this is not just conjecture here, that the second reason pastors named um, as a, a contributing factor to leading them to want to consider quitting, 43% said, I feel lonely and isolated. Walter, there, there's, we could, we could probably spend a long time talking about the complexities of our work. It's relational work. So we're, we're using our relational muscles, if you will, all the time, but it's not the same as truly intimate, mutual, reciprocal relationships, because so many of our relationships are non-reciprocal. They're kind of one way. They're asymmetrical. There's a power differential between us and the people that we're shepherding. And so that 
uh, it's it's not quite the same as genuine relationships of intimacy. And what I heard from pastors in my focus groups is they said, well, I'm using all of my relational muscles to, to inspire leaders and, and convince the elders and to counsel others. And by the time I get to the weekend, I don't want to hang out with friends. I've got nothing left. Mm. Wow. That is a, a situation that if you're not self-aware, uh, you might go decades believing that you have a rich relational context because you're interacting with people all the time. But at the end of that time period, you realize, wait a second, I have a lot of relationships, but not a lot of friendships, not a lot That's of kind of this two-way thing that you're describing. So let's it. explore that a little bit. I mean, what what enables pastors or really other leaders as well um, mm -hmm. who are in similar situations, the helping professions, for instance, yeah. you know, yeah. what what's the differentiation between those who understand the causes of their loneliness and those who just live in that loneliness and wake up one day deeply hurt by it. Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, I think you've put, put your finger on the, on the pulse right there. I mean, that's the issue is the discernment, being able to discern um, a, the condition of our own souls, but it's almost Walter. It's almost like we need to take inventory of our relationships in a regular way, you know, and I, I, I think there, there are teachers in the contemplative spirituality tradition that help us think about spiritual friendships, uh, friendships that are not just about activity or recreation, although that's wonderful, but friendships that help us pay attention to what God is saying and doing in each other's lives. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for friendships like that in my life, but I have to go back to friendships that were formed in my 20s that um, I've been fortunate enough to have, you know, continued over the last couple of decades. The pastors in my focus groups who were doing well with relationships similarly pointed to relationships from an earlier time in their life. And I, I don't know that it's always that way. I don't want to make a blanket statement, but I'll just tell you that's the pattern I'm noticing is pastors who say, I, I think about my seminary friendships or my college friendships or whatever. The, 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 the friendships that were forged in formative years um, tend to be the ones where it's almost like these are the people who knew me before I became me, the persona or me, the personality, you know? Um, so, so those of us who occupy uh, helper type jobs or um, roles that put us in the public eye, it's difficult to form friendships now that are that genuine because people know you as this sort of uh, public persona, you know? Wow. All right, so you've given us some something really concrete with this notion of friendship and um, looking for friends that you have cultivated over the years, maintaining that and having mm -hmm. that discernment. I want to jump back to the stress management part. Is there a similar set of things that you could recommend or say that this really is helpful to manage the myriads of expectations. Do we just need to get used to disappointing people? I mean, <laughs> what helps yeah. pastors or leaders manage that stress well? Well, I have been helped tremendously by the work of Ruth Haley Barton and Pete Scazzaro and others like that. And, and some of the themes between their, you know, in their work, you know, Scazzaro talks a lot about embracing limitations. I mean, that, that's language, Walter, that I didn't used to know. You know, megachurch here, or our early years at New Life, 
Uh, we didn't talk about limits. We, we, we talked about the God of no limits or the God of the impossible. And so forgetting that that's God, that's not us, you know? Um, and, and I think, I think part of step one in this is acknowledging our mortality, acknowledging our humanity, um, our, our creatureliness, that the, we are not the creator, but we are a creature. We are a created being, which means we have limits. We, we, we're, we're finite. Um, and then that leads to so many different practices that the, the, the stuff that kind of rescued me and, you know, I, we, we experienced a, a pretty dramatic moral failure of the founding senior pastor at our church 16 years ago. And that became catalytic for my own wake up call, you know, to say, wait a minute, never mind his sin, that, that's serious on its own, but, but let the Holy Spirit search my own heart. And I began to realize I didn't have any built in rhythms of Sabbath or of solitude or of silence. And it's not that I'm so great at all those things right now, Walter, but I'm struggling intentionally in that direction. And I was talking with, with Ruth Haley Barton recently, and she's done this for years now with the Transforming uh, Transformation Center. And, and she says, I, in all her work, she says, I think the key for leaders, the key habits, the key practices for leaders more than any other habits is the habit of Sabbath and solitude. Mm. Sabbath solitude. Then you added silence. You're, you're yeah. a good preacher. You got it going. <laughs> got it going. Um, so stress, uh, loneliness. Is there another factor that jumped out to you in your research? Um, you, you know, there. The political tensions was a theme that that showed up in my focus groups, and then it's reflected in the latest kind of questions here from March of this year, where. Thirty-eight uh, percent said current political divisions have just been a strain, and I think just to put a little finer point on that, I think pastors just felt like they couldn't—they couldn't get it right. If they said something, they used the wrong phrase. They used a, a, a trigger word or a, you know a catchphrase of a particular tribe or whatever. Or if they didn't say anything, then their silence was you know uh, complicity. And and I—I'm I, not saying that past that there was. Um, things that didn't need to be corrected. We all have learned a lot in the last couple of years about um, how to address social issues with a gospel perspective. And when we're continuing to learn, but that, that has been a, a very difficult thing for pastors because, um, and, and maybe this is one of the pe peculiarities of social media having come of age, if you will, you know, like it's been there for a while, but it's now so ubiquitous that it's like every, everything is kind of being, um, it's not that real life goes into social media. It's the other way around where whatever's trending on social media needs to then feed back into um, real life. And, and, and preachers have felt the pressure of that and have felt ill-equipped for that. And I, I, um, I empathize with that. Hmm. What would equip pastors to enter into that, to um, not either completely avoid yeah, and contain faith in you know this hermetically sealed, theologically informed box, but at the same time, not as you put it, be driven by social media to inform all of life. Um, yeah. there's got to be another way. <laughs> there, there does. I mean, I think of the work you're doing, Walter, with the NAE. I mean, that's really important work because you are helping churches find language. Uh, you are helping do the, the the work on on almost giving us briefings, you know, of of certain issues or events that we can't keep up with uh, in in churches, and I think that is very helpful. Um, I also think, 
there is this tension that we're living in where there's sometimes these sort of kairos moments, these timely moments where you have to say, let's shine the light of the gospel on this moment right now because people are being moved by this question or this issue or this concern or this event. Um, I, just a sidebar, uh, years ago, I heard Miroslav Volf tell a story of when he was, you know, starting to be, he had finished his PhD dissertation. He'd studied under Jürgen Moltmann and he asked Moltmann, how do you be a theologian? What does it mean to be a theologian? And Moltmann said, find out what moves people and then shine the light of the gospel on it. And so there, there is that kind of preacher um, and pastor calling to, to say, this is what's moving the people. It's my job now not to give social commentary, but to say, how does the gospel shine its light on this um, subject of racial injustice or on this question about uh, violence or war or whatever? So that's on the one side. On the other hand, we have to be committed to the long game, that if we will just teach the scriptures faithfully, the Bible encompasses so much. There's so much in there that maybe over time, there's kind of this drip, drip, drip effect. It's like how water erodes rocks. You know, it's, it's not usually this big dump of water. It's the, it's the gradual and perpetual drip uh, that eventually erodes uh, things. So we can't, we can't change paradigms overnight. But if we will commit ourselves to the faithful teaching of the scriptures uh, and then the timely commentary of the gospel, um, perhaps we have uh, a good chance here. Yeah, this requires us to get into the whole counsel of God, because if we just stick with John chapter 3, or, you know, it's kind of the reiteration of the Pauline epistles and a lot of preaching, which is absolutely essential, obviously, that that's um, right at the heart of what we mean by gospel. And, and don't get into Deuteronomy or the prophets of the Old Testament, then we miss out on what Jesus assumed to be the background of uh, his teaching, and that exactly. is the rich, holistic understanding of the people of God's place in this world. Um, so exactly. there's the long game, and then there's obviously the discernment to address what our culture is struggling with um, and apply the gospel to that. Um, yeah, Glenn, I want to come back to something that you said uh, earlier in differentiating, carefully differentiating between those who are considering leaving vocational yeah. ministry and those who actually are uh, quitting. Mm -hmm. So uh, are folks really leaving or are they staying um, and serving in burned out ways? Um, are churches now confronting this great resignation? I mean, what? Give us a little bit more detail on what is actually happening. Uh, yeah, I don't know yet. I mean, I think it's early to tell because we're, we're going to have to ask this question again in a few more years. But I suspect right now the immediate situation is, is the latter thing that you described, which is they're burned out, but they don't have another option. Uh, they don't have uh, a, a, an escape hatch, if you will. They're, they're, there's not um, another role. Uh, that they could take. And so they're in it. And, and they're in it in a very tired way. I've had the privilege of, of, you know, this resilient pastor book that released this year, we, because of the condition of pastors, uh, Barna, we decided to kind of create some initiatives around it. And so we've been doing the resilient pastor city roundtables, uh, where we gather with pastors in various cities. We did Seattle and Denver in the spring. We're going to do uh, six in the fall, uh, Kansas City, Nashville, New York. Uh, anyway, and, and and what I'm hearing already from pastors as we gather is we're just tired. 
but it helps to know that there's other people who are in this too. It helps to know that we're not the only ones. I mean, it's a bit of that Elijah thing. I'm the only one, you know, and they know, you know, academically or theoretically, they're not the only one, but it helps to sit across a round table with others and say, Oh, you, you experienced that. Oh, people left your church because of that as well. And, and, and so then you kind of realize there is no greener grass. If you're talking about going to some other church, there's these challenges are everywhere. Um, um, so we're going to have to, you know, find ways to resource, support, refresh, and equip um, pastors who are staying. Hmm. What can churches do as a whole, as kind of a whole church life um, that will help pastors in remaining for the long haul? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think it always starts for me with prayer. You know, something happens when we begin to pray for our friends, pray for our, our leaders, uh, pray for our pastors. Um, something happens in our own hearts when we recognize, okay, th this, is, um, this is a person, that, it's a human being, uh, yet they've also been entrusted with this holy and sacred task. So I'll pray for them. And that, that's where it begins. And I think secondly, um, I, I think there's some real practical things that people in churches can commit to um, not going off of assumptions, not filling in the gaps. You know, one of the reasons um, things have become so contentious is we hear one or two phrases and they sound like something we heard someone else say over there. And so the, the only common thing is these couple phrases, but they say, oh, you must then believe this whole other set of ideologies or beliefs as well. And so we kind of lump people or label people based on one or two phrases that they said or one or two uh, things. And, and whether it's calling someone a racist or calling someone woke, I mean, we, we've got the labels and the lumping working in multiple directions here. And I think um, I, I would ask church um, fellow Christians to say, um, could you hold off on assumptions? Would you be willing to ask questions uh, in, in an open and curious way, um, even of your pastors, you know, to say, hey, could we talk about this? Could you help me understand uh, what you meant when you said this and why you believe that? Um, I think the other, the other thing that's difficult, Walter, uh, is because of the, um, the digital age that we're in, several pastors shared this with me in the focus group, is, you know, people are watching services online. And then after a while, people began to realize, hey, if I'm watching a church on YouTube, this church has got, you know, better, <laughs> whatever is a shinier sort of presentation. So they'll switch over there. And then what happens is then they come back to their church and they start to kind of talk to their pastor like they know better or they talk down to it. And just, just maybe a little bit of sense of, could we view this as a family that we're part of uh, rather than a con just content that we're consuming, you know? And so, and so uh, approaching it with that kind of love and affection and gentleness and humil humility rather than, well, I heard this other preacher say this and how come you didn't say that, Pastor? And it's like, okay, okay, all right, let's not do that. I'm here with Brian Kluth, who leads the NAE Bless Your Pastor campaign. Brian, um, tell us what Bless Your Pastor is all about. Yeah, Bless Your Pastor is really uh, a way that NAE can empower churches and Christians to really fulfill Galatians 6.6 6 and 1 Thessalonians 5.12. 
Galatians 6, 6 says, share all good things with those who instruct you. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 says, we are to show our deep appreciation for those who minister among us. So we've created free materials that any church can have access to and any Christian uh, at blessyourpastor.org. And then we have a very simple program called Easy as One, Two, Three to Bless Your Pastor. And it also can bless your staff. So bless your pastor and staff. Mm, that's awesome. Um why did you start this campaign? Well, the, my background was I was called to be a pastor when I was 45 years old, and I left my CEO position. I took a $70,000 pay cut to become a pastor. And you know, you take a $70,000 pay cut and you have a young family, you're like, how are we going to do this? And anyway, I moved my family to, to Colorado, part of a wonderful church of a few hundred people. And what happened was they loved us so well. I mean, dentists took care of our teeth and mechanics took care of our car and people watched our children and people helped, you know, uh, gave us a vacation home to use and, and people did things for us. And there were so many things that they did practically that blessed us and we felt the love. And, and, and financially, it was, it was a huge savings to have these people help us. Even I had a wife with cancer for eight years and they would give us gift cards so we could just easily go get meals. But anyway, all that love poured out to my family just carried us through those those pastor years, those cancer years. And I discovered a lot of pastors, you know, uh, weren't experiencing similar things. So I wrote a little flyer that could help every church empower their people. How, what could they, what could every single person or couple or family do to love and bless their pastor and staff. And so we created a little Bless Your Pastor flyer, 50 creative ways to, to bless your pastor and staff and churches use it. And uh, that's kind of the backstory on it. And and we have money, actually grant money to give every pastor whose churches participate, give them a $200 gift card, which is amazing. And then the other thing this year is we can give them a $350 scholarship to a marriage retreat with Family Life Ministries. We can give every pastor couple a scholarship to a marriage retreat uh, in anywhere in America. So just a wonderful way we can partner with churches and church leaders uh, to just really love and support their pastor and staff. These are really creative things that you've just described. Um, so let's break it down. What are some three, maybe three easy steps for churches to take? Well, the number one step they need to take is just go to blessyourpastor.org and get the free materials. So that's that's kind of step one. And then you, you get that material and then you look it over and there's a little seven minute video they can watch on how to do this because this isn't for the pastor to do. This is for the church leaders and the office staff to coordinate. And so then you send out the 50 ways list so you can put it in the in the church. You can give it out during the worship service. You can email it out. You can mail it out. But send out the 50 ways list. We ask the church to take up an appreciation offering for the pastor and staff and share that with them and then honor them publicly. And when you do those three things, then we will send the pastor uh, the gift card, the $200 gift card. There's a little form you fill out to let us know you did it. We send the pastor the $200 gift card and the $350 marriage retreat scholarship and some other vacation opportunities that, that their family could take advantage of. And that's how the program works. It's so simple and anybody can do it. It's just, it's so simple. I love it. 
So go to blessyourpastor.org and get started. Thanks, Brian, for all that you are doing to bless pastors. Hey, thanks and God bless. Going back to the list of things that you had earlier, that you're not only you know theologian in residence, but uh, sac- sacramental priesthood, uh, counselor, entrepreneur, you know, you, you name it, CEO. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a very, very long list. And now, you know, community advocate is added to it and all this stuff, political commentator. But you're describing a situation as not only is there this list, expanded list of expectations, but there's the possibility of people to select because of social media, YouTube, you know, online access, you can select the best of yes. any one of those things and then have a compilation in your head of the ideal pastor who should be able to preach like X, uh-huh, uh-huh. advocate like Y, <laughs> you know, counsel like this latest book that I've read. Uh-huh. And, and so it's not just an impossible lengthy list, quantitatively, qualitatively, it becomes even more impossible with the ability that we have to select and watch and learn from the best of any singular area. Is, is this what I'm hearing you yeah. describe? <laughs> You're exactly right. I mean, that's exactly it. You sort of make this amalgamation of ideal, um, you know, uh, the ideal pastor here. And, and, and then you approach your pastor assuming that because you read one book or, or listened to a couple of podcasts that now you are, you know better than, than they do. And, and look, at maybe you do. You know, I, I'm not saying the pastor is sort of, uh, all, 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 all knowing or perfect. Of course they're not. Um, but it's, it's the approach, you know, again, if we approach this as a, as a customer or a consumer who's like, Hey, you know, that, you know, down the street, this guy's doing this thing. Would you match that offer? If, if we approach it with that sort of mindset, it's just, it erodes the very heart of what a church is. But if we would say, Hey, at our best, at our best, we are the household of faith. We're a family of God together at our best. And so can we approach one another with love and patience and forgiveness and humility and honesty, uh, knowing that we're not going to get it right, knowing that our pastors are going to get it wrong. Um, And so this doesn't mean we don't hold them to account. I'm not saying give them a pass. Uh, I'm saying, can we do it with the the attitude of um, one who is in the family? I I would address a family member in a different way than I would address a a business at which I'm a customer. Mm. Glenn, this is really powerful because it applies not simply to pastors. It applies to our family life as a church, as the family mm-hmm. of God, mm-hmm. our lay leaders, those who serve faithfully but have often been called to volunteer extra hours as churches come back together. I think of the tech teams this past few years, tech volunteers and churches that have been scrambling uh, with getting everything online. I mean, so these are lessons that we could apply to small group leaders to those who are volunteering to our lay elders deacons lay leaders because they're really about treating people with dignity curiosity humility forgiveness Mm -hmm. granting grace i mean these are Gosh, if we had churches like this you know how powerful would this be glenn in our witness to the world um, am I hearing you correctly yeah. that that this really can be not just a resilient pastor, but it's really about the resilient church? The, the yes, 
That, that's that's it, Walter. Uh, one of the challenges that I outlined in the book that are that's facing the church is the challenge of unity, uh, and and this is basically all the stuff we've we've been talking about. And I, I use um, a series of words that Sandra Van Opstel used in one of her books to talk about um, multicultural worship. That was her book. But I use that as a framework for even talking about unity, where we start maybe with, with hospitality, where it's the statement of you are welcome here, someone who's not like me. Uh, and then we move towards solidarity, where it says, I will stand with you. That, your, that pain is not my pain, but I'll stand with you. And then we move from solidarity to true mutuality, where we're able to kind of uh, need one another, serve one another, support one another. And everything you're describing, Walter, is all of the one another texts in Paul's letters. I mean, that's what he's saying to the church over and over again. Uh, forgive one another, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving, you know, that that's that's the church at our best. That's what we have, you know, the, the Lord has been calling us up to for 2,000 years is that image of a people who truly uh, ha have learned to, to, to stand um, with this, this genuine koinonia, genuine fellowship with one another. For leaders listening to this podcast and thinking, okay, I think I'm burnt out. I think I've come to that conclusion. I'm burnt out. We're on the verge of burnout. What, what is one or two things that you would just say, hey, this podcast is over. Go do this or be this or find this. What, what is one or two things that we can have as an immediate takeaway? I think the first thing I would say is find either a really good counselor or spiritual director. Those are slightly different um, professions, slightly different trainings. Um, both are good, but find someone like that because that's going to be a person who's off the grid from your church context. That's outside of that church context that can be a safe space for you. And you need a safe space. You're going to need to be able to name names and name grievances and name the wounds uh, that have occurred over the past couple of years. Cause because burnout is not just exhaustion and, and tiredness. It's an emotional weariness, um, often that's connected to a deep soul woundedness. And so we need that. We need counselors, spiritual directors. And then the second thing that, that you could do is find a spot on the calendar, even if it's two days or one day, find a spot on the calendar where you can go away and be alone with God. Um, I think often of that story in Genesis where Jacob sent, you know, half of uh, his caravan away across, you know, across the river or whatever, or, 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 and he was by himself. And it says when Jacob was by himself, uh, a man met him and wrestled with him until daybreak. There are things that we can't face and we can't name until we are left alone. It was in that moment that the, the angel asked the Lord asked him this question, right? What is your name? And he says his true name this time. He says it, I am Jacob. Uh, uh, whereas before, when he had been asked his name, he said his, it was his brother Esau. And so there are some things about ourselves maybe that we don't want to name that until we're face to face with God, um, we can ignore it. We can keep busy. We can keep going. But maybe when we're alone with God, we can name some of the broken places of our own life. And by God's grace, he will touch that place. And, uh, and what feels like a wound from God will actually be uh, the marking of the Lord that will serve us well for the ministry ahead. Mm, that is so good. Glenn, as we draw things to a close, what hope do you have for the church at large in this season when so many of us are weary? 
my hope like yours walter is always that jesus christ is risen from the dead you know and uh, that that's not trite to me i i just have to think that if jesus christ is risen from the dead it means that even our our worst season won't be the last season our, our worst chapter won't be the last chapter um resurrection always gets the final word and and our hope for all of us is even when we don't see it let's say it's not that our ministry or our particulars you know tenure at a church it's not that we'll see it it's that in the end after the resurrection after the resurrection of the body for all of us who, who are in christ then we will see the fruit of our labors and this is exactly what paul's doing in first corinthians 15 when he says if jesus isn't raised from the dead our preaching's in vain our faith is in vain you know we're to be pitied among all people and then at the end, you know, after saying that Christ has been raised and that there's a future resurrection coming for believers, he then says, now be steadfast, immovable, uh, you know, in your work with the Lord, never wavering in your work for the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord will not be in vain. And that's my hope, is that our labor in the Lord will not be in vain because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Our guest on today's conversation has been Dr. Glenn Packyoung. I'm Walter Kim, and on behalf of us all, thank you, Glenn. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we help evangelicals foster thriving communities and navigate complexity with biblical clarity. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please sign up for our email list and visit our resource hub at nae.org.